Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Canadian Pacific's fourth quarter 2021 conference call. The slides accompanying today's call are available at www.cpr.ca. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, simply press star then number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star and number two. And I would like to introduce Megan Albiston, Vice President Capital Markets, to begin the conference. Thank you, Sylvie. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this presentation contains forward-looking information, and actual results may differ materially. The risks, uncertainties, and other factors that could influence actual results are described on slide two in the press release and in the MDNA filed with Canadian and U.S. regulators. This presentation also contains non-GAAP measures, which are outlined on slide three. With me here today is Keith Creel, our President and Chief Executive Officer, Nadim Villani, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, and John Brooks, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer. Also attending our call today, on behalf of Kansas City Southern, our CEO, Pat Ottensmeyer, and CFO Mike Upchurch, who will be happy to answer questions regarding KCS. As CP investors are aware, KCS is now beneficially owned by CP through a voting trust pending control approval by the STB. During this trust period and prior to the STB approving CP's control of KCS, CP and KCS operate independently, and KCS's business is managed by its own officers and is overseen by its own board of directors. During this trust period and prior to the STB making a determination regarding control, CP and KCS operate as two independent arm's length companies. As a result, only KCS management is truly in a position to answer investor questions regarding their performance and results. I would highlight that KCS has posted an information package to their website and should you have any questions about KCS's performance that aren't addressed on today's call, please feel free to reach out to Mike, Ashley, and the KCS team. We will start the call with some formal remarks and follow that up with a question and answer period. In the interest of time and to allow as many participants as possible, we would appreciate if you could limit your questions to one. It is now my pleasure to introduce our President and CEO, Mr. Keith Creel. Okay, thank you, uh, Megan. Let me uh, let me welcome Mike and Pat to the call today as well, and then proceed to thank uh, our CP family. You know, I say this a lot. Railroading is an outdoor sport, but I, I can tell you this quarter had some exceptionally challenging conditions. Uh, that the team's commitment, grit, and determination certainly was tested. Uh, but to overcome and produce this result under those truly incredible conditions, I, I think deserves a special thanks. Uh, you know, from the catastrophic flooding in British Columbia, which we're all very aware of that occurred 
in November. They took a took a deep breath from what I would call was a miraculous effort to get the railroad open again uh, in eight days to step right into 40-degree temperatures again as we closed the year out, which carried into uh, January. So, again, outdoor sport, yes. Winter, yes, we know it. But I'll tell you, this was an exceptional outcome given the challenges that they faced. So thank you for that, and thank you for your commitment and your sacrifice. Uh, to the results themselves, the quarter, we delivered fourth quarter revenues of $2 billion, an operating ratio of 57.5 and adjusted EPS of 95 cents for the full year. Our total revenues were up 4%. The operating ratio, 57.6, which is a 50 basis points increase over last year's record OR. Adjusted EPS of 376 represents revenue growth of 7% versus last year. Uh, as I said, the CP family finished the year with a strong operating performance. In spite of the challenges we faced, to think that we were able to drive productivity improvements and still increase train lengths and weights, uh, 3% respectively, again, is an outstanding result. Fuel efficiency as well, in spite of those challenges, improving by 1%, an outstanding result. And all three of these metrics were new record lows for the company. On the safety front, something we're extremely proud of, personal injuries were down 17% year over year to a new all-time CP low. This marks the sixth consecutive year of improvements on the personal injury front and it's a testament to the team's commitment, and that's all 12,000 employees uh, to coming home safely every day. Uh, that said, this is an area where we don't rest. Safety is a journey. I say that often. You never arrive. Uh, while we're certainly proud of the progress that we've made on the injury front, uh, we did see a, a bit of step up in train accidents from our all-time record low of last year, but that said, again, for the 16th consecutive year, we're proud that our commitment the people, process, and technology allows us to enjoy the best safety record in the industry. We know there's more to do with that, Seb. We're going to continue to leverage technology and this strong safety culture that we have at this company to drive further improvements in this area. Uh, focusing on the sustainability front, this is another area that we continue to make significant progress. We're proud to be named the highest-ranked freight transportation company on the Corporate Knights Global 100 Index as well as named for the second consecutive year to the Dow Jones Sustainability North American Index. And on the hydrogen front, which is all becoming more topical as the days progress, we continue to demonstrate our leadership in this space, commitment to a more sustainable future through our hydrogen locomotive project. Uh, with the additional grant funding that we received from the Emissions Reduction Alberta, we've been able to expand the scope uh, to three locomotives and two fueling stations as we enter into 2022. We look forward to moving from the last setting into the next phase of switching and road trials. And I'm very happy to say that our hydrogen locomotive in the fourth quarter moved from concept to reality. It actually moved in its own volition, under its own power. So it's not a concept, it's not spin, it's fact, and it's gonna change in a very meaningful way uh, the emission footprint of freight locomotives in this industry. On the transaction itself, that's another area. Again, in the fourth quarter, very excited to hit a milestone with with our CPKC journey, uh, closing KCS into trust on December the 14th. The regulatory review process is well underway. Uh, no doubt many of you have likely seen some of the early headlines related to this process. Uh, we're going to respect the regulatory process. We're going to work with the other rails and the shipping groups to find reasonable solutions to address the concerns, uh, reasonable concerns that might arise. Uh, and we're extremely excited, too, about our ability to reach an agreement with Amtrak, demonstrating our commitment to passenger service 
not only on the CP network, but most specifically to uh, the Baton Rouge and New Orleans network on the KCS Railroad. Our customers are enthusiastic about the opportunity for the seamless, efficient, reliable single-line rail service across the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. John will elaborate, and I'm sure we can address it in Q&A, but uh, we have all been intimately involved getting in front of our customers. We've made over 90 customer contacts, talking about the art of the possible, talking about what this new transnational railroad, uh, assuming it's approved or when it's approved by the SDB, uh, and we will be able to go to work creating and reaching new markets and service that, quite frankly, has never been possible and I believe will only be uh, forever is a long time, but I think the single one and only transnational railroad to exist in the North American continent. So with that, let me, uh, let me hand it over to John to bring a bit more color on the markets, and then Nadine will elaborate on the numbers, and we'll save the balance of the time for Q&A. All right. Well, thank you, Keith, and good afternoon, everyone. So as Keith spoke about the fourth quarter was certainly that, that other reminder that this is an outdoor sport. Uh, we knew this quarter was going to be challenging, certainly given the, the grain comps, but the, the BC outage certainly applied even more pressure uh, to our customers and, and, and to our volumes. My team did as they always do. We stayed super close to our customers and our operating team, and they worked hard to find solutions across our marketplace. Uh, as our western part of our network continued to recover through the quarter. While Q4 performance certainly was challenging all in 2021 full year, uh, with a record for our freight revenue and our total revenue. Now looking specifically at Q4, revenues were up 1% in the quarter, despite an 11% decline in RTMs. Fuel and FX combined to be a 4% tailwind, and price and mix combined to be positive 8%. As you've all heard over the past few weeks from many in the transport industry, the pricing environment continues to be very strong. Now, taking a closer look at our fourth quarter revenue performance, I'll speak to the results in a currency-adjusted basis. Grain volumes were down 21% on the quarter, while revenues were down 12%. As expected, the 40% reduction in the Canadian crop is driving this decline in volumes. The good news is we've taken the decline in the Canadian grain crop and created an opportunity. We had an all-time record quarter and year for our U.S. grain franchise with 30% year-over-year RTM growth. As an example, the team worked extremely hard with our shippers and receivers to create a new supply chain to offset some of the challenges in Canada by moving U.S. corn into Canadian cattle feedlots to supplement the shortage of domestic feed. We expect the challenges in Canadian grain to persist until we get the new crop in Q3. We will start to get some better visibility into the potential of the 2022 crop in the spring, but we are certainly happy to see snow on the ground across the prairies providing much needed moisture. Now on the potash front, volumes were down 4% on the quarter, where revenues were up 14%. The decrease in volume reflects the BC flood outage, but we worked closely with Campitex to minimize the volume lost by moving more trains to Portland. As you would have seen in December, we announced the signing of our new long-term contract with Campitex. We are proud to extend this partnership, and we expect to see high single-digit volume growth in 2022 as Campitex continues to see strong demand in its global markets. 
And as we close out the bulk business, coal revenues were down 14%, while volumes were down 27%, as the supply chain was challenged by the floods, resulting in reduced volumes from the mines and more trains routing north to Ridley. Moving on to merchandise, the energy chemicals plastics portfolio saw revenues increase 15% on slightly negative volumes. We had a record full year revenue performance in ECP despite flat volumes in crude. I'm excited to see two new growth opportunities in ECP with independent energy beginning to produce ultra low sulfur diesel and inner pipeline commissioning their new plastics facility in the Alberta heartland. Both of these new customers are expected to start rail operations in Q2 and CP is proud to be their preferred rail partner. Now, full year, we moved about 60,000 carloads of crude. In 2022, we expect that run rate to slightly decline and the last of our contract liquidated damages to roll off through the year. The DRU unit at Hardesty, Alberta has successfully ramped up and we are at a run rate of 50,000 barrels per day that we expected as phase one of this initiative. As a reminder, the DRU process produces a non-hazardous rubric product that CP exclusively services from Hardesty, and this movement goes to Kansas City for interchange to the KCS. In forest products, volumes were flat, while revenues were up 10%. It was a record Q4 in forest products, and the team continues to deliver strong price performance. In MMC, Revenues were up 28% and volumes increased 20%, largely driven by our frac sand business, our steel business, and and, and almost double-digit growth in our transload business. Our service product is winning in both unit train and single car load business in these manifest markets. Automotive revenues were down 18%, while volumes were down 19% on the quarter. The chip shortage and COVID-related facility shutdowns continue to challenge our OEMs. Despite these latest disruptions related to the Omicron variant, the 2022 outlook is looking better, particularly as we move into the second half of the year. We were excited last week to see our first Chevy Silverado vehicles load onto rail at GM's Oshawa plant. CP and GM have partnered on this new business for the distribution of these vehicles. Now, finally, on our intermodal side of our business, quarterly volumes were down 5% and revenue was up 9%. We have now had five consecutive record quarters for our domestic intermodal franchise, even with the significant disruptions in BC. The new Pacific Transload Express facility we opened in Vancouver with Maersk is offering our domestic intermodal customers new distribution solutions while enabling mares to spin their containers back faster to overseas markets. Our transload solution will take thousands of trucks off the roads of Vancouver while at the same time delivering new revenue growth in 2022 to our franchise. We are also very proud of a new multi-year contract with Canadian Tire. Our long-standing partnership with Canadian Tire is growing stronger, and we look forward to continued collaboration with their team to deliver supply chain solutions across Canada. 
And now finally, our international franchise, supply chain challenges and the BC outage negatively impacted our volumes in the quarter. But I can tell you the team is working hard with our port partners and customers to regain fluidity. We see strong pent up import demand and anticipate ongoing recovery as we move through 2022. So let me close by saying, you know, we're looking as I see it at record demand levels across many of our lines of business and see opportunities to overcome the Canadian grain headwind ahead of us. As always, my team is laser focused on pricing to the value of our service and capacity, and we are working closely with our customers to help their win in their, their marketplace. As Keith, as Keith referenced, you know, we met with uh, almost close to 100 customers in Q4 to educate them on our new routes and the competitive alternatives that the CP-KCS combined network, once we're approved by the STB, will create. I can tell you the opportunity list is growing longer and the customer feedback remains extremely positive. So with that, I'll, I'll stop and, and turn it over to Danim. Thanks, John, and good afternoon. 2021 was a year of challenges that highlighted the team's resiliency. As we look to 2022, we are excited about the opportunity ahead of us, but it's not without some noise. You will notice that we did not provide formal guidance in our press release. With so many moving pieces, we think it would create false precision to provide guidance as there are more variables than usual that we don't control. For example, on the KCS front, we do not have control of their operations and did not create their 2022 plan, so will not be providing guidance as to their expected performance and its impact on our earnings. With the timing and conclusion of the regulatory process in the hands of the STB, as well as with Omicron and other macro factors presenting some near-term uncertainty, we felt it was prudent not to provide formal guidance. We are committed to providing as much transparency as we are able to, and I'll provide key modeling data points in my remarks where, where appropriate. So now looking at Q4 overall, the operating ratio increased 530 basis points to 59.2%. On an adjusted basis, the operating ratio was 57.5%, a 360 basis point increase from Q4 2020. I will remind you that Q4 2020 included a 330 basis point impact from the Detroit River Tunnel transaction. Taking a closer look at a few items on the expense side, I will speak to the variances on an FX-adjusted basis. Comp and benefits expense was down 6%, or $25 million versus last year. The primary driver of the decrease is lower volume in the quarter. Fuel expense increased $66 million, or 40%, primarily as a result of higher fuel prices. This year, we once again achieved a full-year record fuel efficiency, moving us a step closer to our 38% locomotive emissions reduction targets. Materials expense was down 6%, or $3 million, as a result of lower volumes in the quarter. Equipment rents were down 12%, or $4 million, as a result of lower volume and lower prices paid for pooled equipment. Depreciation expense was $206 million, an increase of 6% as a result of a higher asset base. For CP standalone, we expect a similar $40 million increase in 2022 as our asset base grows. Purchase services was $250 million, an increase of $56 million, or 29%, when adjusted for acquisition costs. 
The main driver of the increase is lopping the gain related to our acquisition of the Detroit River Tunnel for a total of $68 million in Q4 2020. Moving below the line, we are recognizing 18 days of equity pickup from KCS, which included $169 million of transaction costs incurred at the end of the year, which we have excluded for our adjusted diluted EPS. Other components of net periodic benefit recovery increased 16 million, reflecting lower discount rates. In 2022, we expect this to be relatively flat to 2021. Net interest expense is up 12 million as a result of higher debt loads since we issued 10.7 billion in acquisition debt during the quarter. We issued a total of 6.6 billion of US and 2.2 billion of Canadian dollar denominated debt with a weighted average coupon of 2.4%. Financing across multiple tenors allowed us to finance at very attractive rates while also maintaining the financial flexibility to deliver in accordance with our plans. For 2022, CP standalone interest expense should be approximately 650 million. Income tax expense decreased 44 million or 23%, primarily as a result of a lower effective tax rate. Rounding out the income statement, adjusted diluted EPS decreased 6% to 95 cents in the quarter. Moving on to full year results on the next slide. The fourth quarter performance caps a challenging year for the CP family. Our full year adjusted operating ratio was 57.6, a 50 basis point increase year over year. Adjusted income grew 7% and our record adjusted diluted EPS increased 7%. As you model out 2022, we would expect CP's average share count to be approximately 930 million shares and for the corporate tax rate to be in the 24 to 24.5% range. We were prudent with our balance sheet this year with actions taken to pause the buyback program and dividend growth as we work on the transformational opportunity of our merger with KCS. Leverage is currently at its peak as we have issued all of our acquisition debt. You will see our, rapid, our leverage rapidly come down as we pay down acquisition debt over the coming 24 months. The buyback and dividend increases will remain paused until we return to our 2.5 times debt to EBITDA target. We are already starting to see cash flow from KCS with a dividend in January this month that will be applied to outstanding debt. Before wrapping up, I want to provide a little accounting context around the KCS equity pickup. We are recognizing 100% of their net income in our financial statements as one line below operating income, reflecting that we do not have control. In Q4 2021, we only own the shares for 18 days, so you see 18 days of equity pickup, which includes $169 million of transaction costs, creating a loss you see in those 18 days. Embedded in the equity pickup will be the step up in depreciation and amortization from the preliminary purchase price allocation. In 2022, we expect the depreciation step up to be approximately 220 million US, partially offsetting the increase in depreciation will be credits for deferred taxes and interest expense. So the net impact to the equity pickup is a reduction of 125 million US from KCS's 2020 equity income. 2021 tested our mettle and our team of railroaders rose to the occasion at every turn. 2022 will be a year of opportunity, but it will not be without some noise. We'll work hard to be as transparent as possible as we move through the regulatory process. I'm proud of the team and look forward to what we can accomplish in 2022. So with that, let me pass things over to Keith to wrap things up before Q&A. 
Okay, thanks, Nadima John. Um, let me close my remarks by, you know, seeing, sort of looking forward as we move past some of the uncertainty and disruptions. We're super excited about the opportunities that lie ahead of us in 2022. The demand environment is strong. You couple that with our unique initiatives and our service capabilities, this company to succeed in 2022 and beyond. You combine our standalone opportunities with that of this combined CPC KC network. The future is extremely, extremely bright. Uh, so let me let me back up and just say, you know, thank you, John and Nadine, for that color. And I'm going to close my remarks by saying, as we look forward through 2022, we get past some of the uncertainty and the disruptions. We're excited about the opportunity that lie ahead. This demand environment is extremely strong. You couple that with our unique initiatives and our service capabilities. We're extremely well positioned to succeed. All right, we can open up for Q&A. Certainly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. As previously highlighted, please limit your questions to one. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. And your first question will be from Walter Spracklin at RBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Walter. Yeah, so, so um, perhaps what I, uh, we could start with uh, just a question on on concessions. I know I get a lot of those. Um, if Keith, you can hear me, if there's, you know, get a lot of those from investors. There's been a lot of no noise in the um, and and uh, filings. You mentioned that you know you're separating what's reasonable from what's not reasonable. Can you uh, can you highlight what 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 areas of requests that you might deem reasonable that that you've received and that we may see? And are you do you continue to be of the view that material concessions uh, are uh, continue to be unlikely as part of the outcome for this uh, uh, for this review? Well, let me, uh, Walter. Hopefully, you can hear me okay. I'll I'll start with confirming the statement that you just made. Um, you know, often we think about this significant concessions are required to offset losses to competition network overlap, predatory pricing, or poor service. And none of those points are true about this transaction, this proposed transaction. So that's the starting point. Um, you know, the requests that have been made so far, not a surprise, obviously. We expected everybody to come to the table uh, asking uh, for certain things. Uh, but at the same time, as we said from the very beginning, we're going to negotiate on reasonable terms. And reasonableness is, is a two-way conversation, obviously. Uh, again, pro-competitive fact to me leads to a good outcome for the customer, uh, for the country, for the free network. Um, so significant concessions when you have good facts and they all support competition are not a reasonable expectation for anyone to come to the table with. Um, so that's probably the best way I can say it. I can tell you, Walter, I was very encouraged uh, to see the SDB recent ruling. You know, I think about what that says to me. I think it says this is a fair and open process. I think it demonstrates a commitment to the procedural schedule and a commitment to an efficient and timely review of our proposed transaction, uh, all which bodes well for the very positive pro-competitive facts of this combination. Appreciate the time as always. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Walter. Thank you. Next question will be from Tom Wadowitz at UBS. Please go ahead. Uh, yeah, good afternoon. 
Keith, my understanding is that, you know, you're, you're obviously constrained on the operating side. You can't, you know, you can't touch the KCS network. But from a customer perspective, you can go to customers. Obviously, I mean, you said, I guess, you, I don't know if it was in conjunction with uh, KCS management, but, you know, 100 calls or meetings is a lot. Um, do you think that we would expect any kind of new win uh, type of announcements in 2022 uh, of business related to the combination that, you know, uh, you're able to reach, uh, you know, talking together uh, with KSU, you know, auto auto contracts, new ag sites, you'll be serving things like that? You know, let me, let me start by saying, you know, we have to handle this in a very singular fashion. You know, Pat and his team are handling KCS's business, DP, obviously myself and our team handling ours. Uh, there's nothing that prevents us from going to a customer that might be interested from or that might benefit from this new proposed single line service, assuming the uh, STB approves the transaction, we can make any discussion contingent upon that. So the answer is yes, that's possible. Uh, but at this point, I can tell you the meetings that we've had, uh, the lines here I've participated in, their CP team talking about CP opportunities with our customers, and then obviously we discuss what the future might look like. So the groundwork is being laid. You know, the key point with our customers, you know, to get into long-term contracts that lock you out of the opportunity to benefit from the pro-competitive nature and opportunities and options of this transaction, uh, to me, it's a customer decision to make, but obviously we're doing our best to educate them to the benefits of, of not choosing that so that they can uniquely benefit from the unique benefits this combination is going to create. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question, Tom. We've got to be very careful not to exert, and we will not exert control or influence over KCS to stand alone. But again, the two together can talk about what the future looks like and what that might mean for the customer, assuming the STD approves our transaction. So it sounds like maybe keep the expectations low for this year and probably setting the stage for more to come after the approval. Yeah, we're certainly not making taking in any customer wins or business uh, as a result of the transaction. We're just preparing for and laying the groundwork for what's to come beyond the possible. Great. Thank you, Keith. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Next question will be from Fadi Shamoon at BMO. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, a question along the same lines. I mean, you have uh, this Amtrak support statement, which clearly addresses a key concern um, by 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 regulators. Are there other things that you can potentially um, kind of try to uh, 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 firm up, uh, uh, you know, ahead of this regulatory process with, uh, you know, other key uh, parties in this transaction, like short lines or even other railroads? I just wonder if 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 um, if there are things that you can, you know, address potentially before before there's uh, if we go to the hearing process, maybe, um, you know, a, a little bit later on. So. Yeah. Yeah. Tati, uh, great question, and the answer is absolutely yes. And and I would suggest that, you know, the individual parties, if we can reach agreement uh, on whatever the item might be come to reasonable terms, 
between ourselves, whether it's with a short line, whether it's with a main line, whether it's with a customer, whether it's with a, a, um, an association, uh, I think the SDB would prefer that. Um, so, you know, obviously those discussions are being had in all those areas. Uh, we've had discussions, some more than others, with all the class ones. We've had discussions with short lines. We're having discussions with shipping organizations. Uh, so we're prepared to making ourselves available to have reasonable discussions, to listen to concerns, and hopefully come to reasonable, acceptable solutions uh, between all of those parties uh, prior to, alongside, I guess, in parallel with the, the merger application process. And um, are, are, are the views, like when, when you um, kind of address some of these things with the other class one carriers, are the views widely different between where you see things and where they want things to go? I, well, the way I look at it, you know, number one, I'm going to listen to what the ask is. Uh, but the backdrop I, I compare it to, and, you know, obviously I've got a lot of precedents. I've got a lot of history uh, that we can review because this is moving forward under the old rules. So obviously there's a, there is a catalog of different deals that have been done and concessions and agreements that have been made that have been filed with the SDB. So we have the benefit of precedents and the benefit of those that have navigated these waters before us. Uh, you know, we've made certain commitments, obviously, to keep interchanges open on reasonable terms and in physical terms. Uh, we're not going to create new bottleneck pricing. We're, we're willing to enter into some reasonable um, arbitrated settlement process in individual discussions with our shipping groups and or our customers. Uh, so there's a menu of options uh, that are on the table, and, but always with a backdrop of I understand, we understand what the laws are, we understand that pro-competition is what the SDB seeks, and when we represent pro-competitive facts, uh, puts us in a very strong position uh, to have these discussions on reasonable terms again to come to reasonable solutions. And if they're not, I've said this before, um, you know, if we can't resolve it because someone's being unreasonable, uh, then if we have to at the end, that's what will be tabled, and that's what the SDB ultimately will have to find on. Okay, great. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you. Next question will be from Chris Weatherby at City. Please go ahead. Yeah, hey, thanks. Good afternoon, guys. Um, you know, I appreciate that there's a lot of moving parts to this year, certainly. Um, but I was hoping that maybe we could talk a little bit about you've got two fronts, maybe how you see you know the volume you know dynamic playing out. Obviously, there's been some challenges uh, outside of your control in 21, but maybe thoughts around at least maybe the ramp of volume as we go through 2022, and then just any thoughts Nadine you have in terms of operating ratio. I know you gave us some help on some individual line items within the cost, uh, within within um, you know the cost, but I guess I want to get a sense of on a CP standalone basis how you're thinking about OR for 2022. Now let me, uh, without, without getting into guidance, I'll give some high level color and I'll, I'll let Nadine fill any blanks that he might want to, but. You know, this is the way I see it, uh, Chris. You know, this is a tell of two stories this year. We obviously have pretty tough comps. Uh, first half, we don't have grain this year. We had grain last year. You know, I, we had uh, we had a unicorn January, the best weather condition January that I've experienced in my history railroading in the Canadian Railroad uh, as a compared to last year. That's not the case this year. Uh, so there's some obvious pressures 
from fluidity, from operating conditions, and from a compare standpoint on volumes that we won't benefit from that are headwinds in the first half. So you could expect RTMs to be down in the first half, but in the second half half. And again, what's true in the first turns to a tailwind in the second. We've got weather on our side. We've got uh, very favorable comps. We hope and we anticipate with all that snow that's falling, we're going to see a more normal grain harvest that comes in uh, the fourth quarter when the new grain starts to move. And I think you're going to see autos, some of the chip shortages, that start to, to normalize and to stabilize. So, again, with that demand environment, you fill that valley in with grain and with all these other initiatives with these contract wins that John's spoken to, that gets us to from a run rate on the second half, double-digit RTM growth. Uh, so that leads us to positive RTM growth for the year. That leads us to margin improvement for the year. That means leads us to positive EPS growth for the year, all on a standalone basis. Okay, that's uh, super helpful. Appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks. Next question will be from Jason Seidel at Cohen. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you, uh, Operator uh, Keith and team. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about the intermodal sector. It, it seems like the way you guys are, are couching it, uh, it might be more of a back half story as congestion eases. I just want to make sure I'm reading that right. Also, uh, wanted to see if you guys have seen uh, um, any inquiries uh, given sort of the vaccine mandate there uh, for cross-border traffic uh, in the trucking industry. Hey, Jason, I can this is John. I'll, I'll jump in there. Um, you know, I think certainly on the international side of the business, we've got a lot of pent-up uh, import demand out there, not only in Vancouver, uh, on the water. But um, I, so I, I do think it's going to take a little bit of time to, to grind through that. Uh, the, good, the good news is the, the volumes are nowhere representative of, of the demand environment, if you think about international, intermodal for us. Um, domestically, we've we've hummed strong. Um, you know, I expect uh, our domestic intermodal franchise to continue to to execute. Um, I think you'll see a strong Q1, Q2, and and it, as I said, I think we're expecting a, another record year for our domestic uh, intermodal franchise in that space. So um, maybe it's a, a little different between the two. Yeah, probably more of a second half story on international. Um, but but I would expect a, a strong full year in our domestic franchise. Okay. And regarding the cross-border? You, you know what? Um, we were looking at uh, sort of our volume on a few of our train pairs uh, early this morning, and, um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of variability yet. Um, I can tell you there's a fair amount of discussion going on with our customers on that front, but I would say we're kind of in a wait-and-see mode Um right now in that in that cross-border. Okay. I appreciate the time as always, gentlemen. Yep. Thank you. Next question will be from Steve Hansen at Raymond James. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks, guys, for the time. Um, John, I wanted to circle back on one of your comments on the pet chem side where you talked about the opportunity on, I think it was both plastics and the ultra-low sulfur diesel opportunity your peer has also been talking about this concept of renewable diesel and the big opportunity it might present in the coming years. Is that is that something that you see also starting to ramp up on your on your line as well? And just give us some context around that broader step up over time. Uh, Steve, thanks thanks for the question. It, it definitely is. Um, you know, not only 
uh, across Canada as we're working, you know, certainly close with the input side, with the uh, whether it be canola oil or other oils, uh, but also on our U.S. franchise as, you know, we're, we're looking at opportunities for additional soybean crush on our franchise as feedstock for those opportunities. Um, so I think the, the easier answer is yes, we, we see this as sort of a, a long-term opportunity um, for the franchise. And, and frankly, you know, if the STB um, uh, grants control and as we look to the future relative to CPKC, I think it's a, uh, it's a tremendous opportunity as, as we've got the feedstock in, in the origin franchise planted uh, in the right spot with the, with the grain customers. And you know potentially the single line haul to get down to the refineries and into the Gulf market. So um, I think standalone, it's a it's a good story for CP and and uh, in the future CPKT could provide a pretty good opportunity also. Appreciate the caller. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. Next question will be from Brandon Oglinski at Barclays. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and thanks for taking my question. Um, just point of clarification, I think I heard earlier that Pat Ottensmeyer and Mike Upchurch were on the call. Is it okay if, if I ask a question of them on KSU? Of course. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, hey, guys, and I apologize. I, I didn't realize you put out your earnings release until this call, so I'm not that great at multitasking, but it looks like, you know, things came in pretty much in line with where maybe we thought it would be, maybe margins a little bit ahead. I guess what can you talk about, you know, some of the opportunities and, and uh, you know, challenges that you see approaching here in 2022 for your network? Appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, I'll uh, give you just a, a quick overview here. I, I think on the volume and revenue side, we, we would expect to continue to see nice growth. Uh, we believe that all of our segments, uh, with the exception of chemical, and really due to the refined product issue that, that I think has been well discussed in past, should grow. We, we have a lot of new uh, facilities on our line, uh, particularly in the steel side of the business. Uh, we, we have Metal, Turnium, Steel Dynamics, all with major facilities uh, built in the U.S. Gulf Coast or, or down in Mexico at Pescaria and Lazaro. Uh, should see a little bounce back in, in auto um, grain, I think, looks really strong with, with uh, significant growth in the cross-border grain shipments. We, we also are really excited about an expansion of the Diamond uh, Green Renewable Diesel Facility that's going to add some growth. Um, you know, the Drew Facility down in Port Arthur should, should add some growth. So we're pretty excited about the growth opportunities, and, and that should lead to good volume and, and revenue growth. On the cost side, as, as you know, from our uh, first three quarterly earnings releases we had in 21, we, we had some cost challenges. Uh, those are behind us, really the, the John Wars leadership and the entire operating team. Um, but many thanks to them. We, we really have a, a network that's running uh, very, very efficiently right now, and, and 2022 is going to be all about continuing to generate productivity on the labor side. and around fuel efficiency and, and continuing to better leverage uh, our equipment in our franchise. So, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about, about those opportunities here in 2022. Yeah, Brandon, I would just add to that, uh, if you look at the package that we put on our website, uh, look at some of the operating metrics and statistics that we uh, included in that package, uh, including the performance of our grain fleet. So, 
we definitely had some weakness in a couple of the areas that, that Mike mentioned. Uh, um, the, the cross-border refined fuels continues to uh, lag because of some regulatory changes in Mexico, but our service uh, has uh, improved just substantially uh, since the middle of last year, so we are well positioned. We think we've got good visibility to some of these opportunities coming back, and uh, our, our network is, is performing extremely well, and I think we're, we're in, in great shape to, uh, to see and take advantage of those growth opportunities when they come back. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question will be from Ken Hexter at Bank of America. Please go ahead. Hey, great. Uh, Pat, Keith, congrats on, on closing the acquisition. Keith, obviously a lot of cost impacts here. Maybe you can talk a little bit about anything ongoing costs, talk about the restructuring costs and, and what you plan to spend. I don't know if it's too early for that or, or maybe just walk us through what we should expect this year in, in terms of the impact on costs. And then, Pat, just on, you know, coming back to your, your thoughts there on KCS, any, any thoughts on the outlook that you're providing with uh, for KCS at this time? Yeah, so Kenneth, Nadim, sorry, just want to clarify, when you say impact of costs, can you just clarify that? Yeah, is it, I guess I, I guess there are two phases. One is on M&A, and the second would be any kind of restructuring costs. I guess it's too early until you, you blend the companies, right? So just as standalone operating, it's just a mathematical example. There's Is there any other costs we should be uh, aware of, you know, in terms of the ownership structure here in, in the year, in, this, in 22, and I guess it's too early to talk about restructuring into 23. Yeah, no, you're right. There's, it's too early on, on 23. Um, but I would say, you know, we've talked about this being a, a growth story. So, you know, that that's going to be um, additive to headcount over time as we as we grow the two uh, networks and, and uh, add on the synergies that we talked about, the, the billion dollars of synergies, um, and then some cost savings through uh, – through IS and, and, and finance and some headcount, as we talked about there, uh, shifting to Kansas City. But apart from that, you know, in in, uh, in 2022, um, I talked a little bit about the, the equity pickup and, um, you know, we'd have uh, our net income from, from KCS would be, would come up through our net income, um, but there would be some depreciation uh, step up, about 220 million US. Um, and there'd be an offset to that um, of about $40 million of uh, credit for the fair value increase in uh, Kansas City Southern's debt, and, and also an offset of about $55 million U.S. Uh, credit for deferred taxes. So that's, uh, that's the income statement impact that I'd, I'd highlight. So apart from that, I'd, nothing uh, as far as costs or restructuring. And, and then, Pat, any thoughts? Did, did in your out? Did you provide an outlook any different than no. what, what CP is talking about in terms of forecast? Uh, we we have not, and we're going to uh, uh, shy away from that at, at this time. Just uh, so many uncertainties about uh, COVID and the impact on workforce and supply chain congestion and chip issues affecting uh, auto and auto related business, and then the uh, the, the future uh, uh, trend in uh, refined products. We, uh, uh, we're going to stay away from specific guidance at this point, but uh, as Mike covered and I, I touched on with our service, I think we see opportunities for uh, some pretty nice uh, productivity gains when, when volume recoveries uh, occur. All right, great. Thanks for the time and time. Thanks, Ken. 
Thank you. Next question will be from John Chappell at Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Um, good timing for the follow-up. Pat, you touched on just really briefly there, refined products. Uh, obviously, um, Mexican administrations made a, a big announcement since we last spoke to you in October on, uh, on oil dependency or independency, I should say. Refined products has been such a huge growth um, you know, silo for you uh, over the last couple of years. I know you're not giving guidance, but how should we think about the Mexican administration's new views on oil and refined products and, and how that relates to your rail and either growth or, or maybe even some, uh, some deceleration there? Yeah, this is Mike. I, I'll go ahead and take that one. I, obviously, this market uh, has been a terrific opportunity for us, at least through through mid-year 2021. Um, then the government really stepped up regulations, uh, inspecting cars be, because some shippers were illegally labeling the product to avoid excise tax. And the next step the, the government took was to inspect and, and shut down a number of refined product uh, rail terminals that were receiving this product in, in Mexico. Um, you, you know, we're beginning to see uh, stabilization in, in that business, so that's good news. Um, hard to predict exactly where uh, that, that's going to take us here in 2022. But if you think about the overall macro environment here, the demand is still relatively weak in, in Mexico. Uh, Pemex did in 21 over, you know, easy comps in, in 2020, increase production, but really not above 2018 and 2019 levels. So, so we'll kind of see, you know, what their production is for, for 2022. But imports um, have clearly shifted from rail to truck. And that's what's hurt our business um, because of the closure of these rail uh, receiving terminals in, in Mexico. Um, they've inspected pretty much every terminal in Mexico. The good news is um, companies are, are, are beginning to get approval to continue to be open. So we're optimistic that that, that market will uh, stabilize here and, and hopefully even grow because the, the macro environment, uh, Pemex is only producing about a third of the overall demand in, in Mexico. So the other two thirds has to come from Im imports. And, and that's where, it, it, you know, we, we are very hopeful that we'll see a shift back from truck to rail, which is much more economical. And I'd make maybe one final point. Uh, Pe Pemex just recently announced acquisition of a Deer Park uh, refinery, and they're really looking to ship a lot of uh, fuel, heavy fuel oil into that facility and then refine product down back into Mexico. So we're going to be ultra-focused on finding a way to work with Pemex to make them successful both on the shipments north and the refined products back. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of color on this market. Um, and uh, still long-term, we believe this is a good growth opportunity for us. Definitely does. Thanks for all that detail, Mike. Thank you. Next question will be from Scott Group at Wolf Research. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks. Good afternoon, guys. So um, last year we, we talked about potential for a 55 OR standalone, and obviously there were, there were a lot of challenges last year. Keith, do you think there, there's possible of getting there this year, or, or is that more of a 2023 when we get the grain recovery? 
give me guidance. Um, obviously, we, again, tell them two stories. It's going to be challenging. Uh, obviously, to get to that level, I see a path to OR improvement. And obviously, when things normalize, we get into 23 with a normal grain crop. And the benefit of that meaningful volume, then, then those outcomes uh, become more achievable. Not in, not in 2022. Okay. And then, can I just ask John just one question? So, with the revenue synergy targets, I'm, I'm sure there's some bigger, lumpier kinds of contracts that, that you have in mind. Just directionally, do those are there a lot of those opportunities in 20, late 22, 23, um, in terms of uh, the, the bigger contracts in, in mind? Yeah, I think so, Scott. Uh, as Keith said uh, earlier, you know, we've we've undertaken a, a pretty aggressive outreach to the customers in some of those areas that might have lumpier contracts to talk to them about, you know, why they need to, to think about if the STB does grant control that, you know, don't miss the opportunity for this new competitive option in the marketplace. And it's been received well. You know, Scott, so you, you, you've got that bucket of opportunities. And I think you got a whole, whole bunch that are out there that, um, um, you know, just contract timing works well. And as we create a new product, it opens up those opportunities for those customers, regardless of their of their contract status. And, you know, I'll I just I'll give you an example, um, and you probably saw some of this, but, you know, most recently you've had two major Canadian companies um, uh, announce where they've made acquisitions into the United States and in, in, in more of the global and North American markets, one being Richardson International and the other one just most recently being Viterra. And you look, you look at those opportunities and, and, and those are synergies that, that sort of go above and beyond, but they're totally indicative of what we believe this North American combination can create. Um, and in the de desire for some of these companies to invest, to be able to help create the opportunity or share in the new routes that this combination creates is powerful. And, and, and with those two examples, um, you know, and, and those are big base customers for CP today that are, that are very excited about, um, you know, what this combination, if we get approval, um, you know, presents them. Helpful. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Next question will be from Karnart Gupta at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon, everyone. Um, just wanted to come back uh, to uh, the, the demands from, from your competitors um, that, that you have received so far and, and potentially will receive uh, from the remaining guys. Shortly, um, if in case, uh, Keith, um, I know you mentioned that you will uh, address all, all reasonable demands. Um, when do you when you address any reasonable demand um, from your competitors, especially, do you, do you see or anticipate uh, you know any uh, kind of um, you know impact on your stated synergy targets? Um, you know, considering uh, you may be required to perhaps you know divest uh, some sections or let go some some lanes. Can you talk a little bit about the impact potentially on synergy targets from, from those demands? Yeah, well, listen, I, I, you know, I'd be speculating, but let me stick to facts. They tend to always work best for me. Uh, when it comes to significant concessions, the facts don't support it. You know, specifically divestiture, I know there was one 
particular railroad, our main competitor, that, that suggested they'd love to see us divest the line from Springfield to Kansas City. Um, but if you get to the facts, some of the assumptions that were made in that request, uh, or that proposed request, are based on bad facts. There's factual errors, there's misstatements. If you truly get into the details of our filing and understand what our plan calls for, that specific line will grow. It's not going to shrink. Uh, it's not an overlapping track. It doesn't go to Chicago. Uh, so again, when I think about a reasonable request, I would say that is, and you can expect this company to uh, vehemently oppose that and certainly not concede to that. And I don't think that when the facts are heard and the facts are ruled upon, uh, that that's going to carry the argument for one moment. Uh, that's going to be a viable part of our network. It's part of our single line benefits that this transaction brings uniquely to the table and competition that it introduced. Uh, so again, that one I would say is very unreasonable and I'm not concerned uh, on that based on facts. You get to the other ones, you think about what's been asked for. Uh, you know, the NS is asking for additional rights of the Meridian Fairway, which frankly, they're not currently contemplated in the JV agreement. That was a negotiated agreement between the KCS and the NS back in 2006. Uh, so again, if you think about precedent, to use a transaction to gain advantage or to gain a better position um, that you otherwise wouldn't benefit from, there's precedence around that. There are rules around that. There are laws around that. Uh, the BNSF, they're looking for trackage drive south of Laredo and from Clinton, Iowa, north of Savannah. Again, asks that have been asked for before. Uh, these facts don't change or create bad facts. And if it didn't make sense then, I can't understand how it might make sense now. So again, in the context of the settlement, we'll talk about reasonable asks and reasonable terms and reasonable outcomes, and as long as it's reasonable for both parties, then, then we can get there. But if it's unreasonable, um, we're not going to be in a position to agree to it. Our pro-competitive facts don't indicate that we need to. Okay, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Next question will be from Benoit Poirier at Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yes, thank you very much, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, gentlemen, given the congestion with the West Coast ports, uh, do you see an increased interest for East Coast ports? And maybe for Pat, do you see an increased interest for Lazaro Cardenas? You know what? All those things speak to a case for all those potential outcomes in Wall, and those are all things that we're discussing at different stages of discussion with our steamship lines. You know, the Port of Lazaros, obviously they're talking direct with KCS about that, but what I know about it from my due diligence is it's a port built with a ton of capacity, deep water access. Uh, it, it can complement what's going on in LA Long Beach. It will never replace it, but there's certainly business cases to be made looking at today's traffic, much less considering what nearshoring is going to bring in the future, that that's a viable port that should uniquely uh, benefit this franchise, KCS today, CPKC in the future, assuming the STB approves our transaction. And the same can be said for the Port of St. John. You know, the Port of St. John has a tremendous amount of capacity. Uh, as the crow flies from Tidewater to the key markets, the CP solution is the shortest route. So in our best day, uh, with the capacity, as long as they can handle it expeditionally and efficiently through the port, we've got a better product. And that's exactly what we're selling. And again, 
when you have these discussions, the beauty of this now and in the future, assuming the SCB approves our transactions, we, we now have three three codes, the triangle that, that is a powerful um, solution enabler, supply chain enabler for growth for our customers and for our stakeholders. And that's all something we continue to be extremely excited about in those messages and the art of the possible it's exciting to those customers too. So I see a perfect marriage coming for growth and that's exactly why we're pursuing this transaction and that's exactly why we're excited. There's something in it for everyone here. Pro competition, pro growth, our employees get better paying jobs, more of those, uh, our customers, KTS customers, CP customers, and customers of tomorrow that either of us might serve today all have an opportunity to benefit from what this unique transaction brings to the table that otherwise would not be possible, and I believe to be the last major transaction, major combination of merger in the North American continent that will uniquely connect all three countries that at a beautiful time in a world where, because of all those supply chain challenges, uh, we need a solution like this. So it's extremely compelling, and all those conversations are, are following that narrative. It just makes too much sense at a perfect time in, in history. That's great. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. We are now out of time. I would like to turn the call back over to Mr. Keith Creel. Please go ahead. Okay, well, listen, let me close by thanking you for your time this afternoon. I can tell you as we look forward, obviously, we're seized with, number one, running the railroad efficiently, safely for our customers. Um, throughout this process, we'll be running and participating, completing the merger application process in parallel with planning for integration of these two great companies so that when we do get a favorable outcome from the SDB, which we hope for and anticipate, we'll be prepared to hit the ground running day one as seamlessly as possible and start to create all these unique benefits for all of our stakeholders that we've been so proudly talking about. So that's what we'll be focused on the balance of 2022. And we look forward to sharing our second quarter results, or first quarter results on the next call. Thank you. Thank you, sir. This does conclude today's conference. You may now disconnect. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.